episode 78, the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, Monday, November 20th. It's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Trevor Nargis, Supervisor Trading Team, is here. Welcome. Thanks, Danny. And we've got Jason Cooper, Research Analyst. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. All right. Well, we want to start off by thanking everyone, right? Thank you to all the listeners who come back week after week. If you like what you hear, please feel free to share with a friend, colleague, or family member. As always, we enjoy making these, and your listening and spreading the word means a lot. So let's dive in, Jason. What weekly economic data do we have kind of coming in? Well, it's a short week. Monday, we have the leading index for October. Tuesday, existing home sales for October, and they're estimating about 3.9 million, which is down maybe 1.5% month over month, but part of that is seasonal. We've got FOMC minutes out. Wednesday, we'll see the initial jobless claims and durable goods orders for October. Thursday, we'll all be celebrating Thanksgiving, so getting away from the terminals. And then Friday, back at it with the S&P Global PMI's prelim for November. All right, fantastic. So let's get into strengths here. One thing that we've been talking about as a team has just been the seasonality and kind of with that, the end of year FOMO that we're seeing here. People are kind of piling into markets. It seems like markets have been rip roaring after finding a short term bottom here. And a thing to take away from that is that the end of the year tends to be a seasonally strong period for equity markets. And another thing to that is that we're also in a presidential pre election year. And those pre-election years historically tend to see markets be pretty strong since 1900, right? So on the dot, on average, the third year of a president's term has seen the market up nearly 12%. So kind of following the trend or following historical norms should be a pretty strong end of the year. Obviously, there's some caveats to that, right? Things can happen, things can change. But with the way that we're seeing things play out right now, markets look strong. Yeah, and it brings back that old uh, adage, if Santa Claus fails to call, bears will come to broad and wall. So we're not quite seeing any bears yet. It looks like maybe there are some bulls driving Santa's sleigh. A great example of that was last week. We we had an explosion, especially within the small cap stocks. Uh, There was like a nine to one upside day just showing breath for the market was very strong. I mean, the Russell 2000 index was up about 5% for the week. But it was uh, it was a time where I guess if you wanted, you could really swing trade. There was high volatility. And at one point, that same index was up almost 8%. So lots of movement, but the movement tended to be up. Right. And we'll, we'll see how that continues to play out. You know, one thing we've talked about and kind of has been known throughout the year has been the equal weighted S&P 500 versus the market cap weighted, right? And those mega cap names have really helped contribute to returns being higher. And what we're kind of seeing, right, if something like mid and small caps are starting to catch up here, that could bode well for the equal weight index. So we'll see how we end the year. Um, But Jason, let's keep moving along. What else do you got in strengths? You know, it's been a tough year for the fixed income and, and stock markets, broadly at least. But with respect to house prices, those just continue to chug higher for, I would say, most of the country. So there is a wealth effect from the appreciation of homes. And anyone that's a homeowner probably has more of a propensity to spend going into this holiday season. Yeah. Another thing, too, you know, related to kind of the economy is the fact that the unemployment rate is still relatively depressed. You know, obviously, we're looking to see what comes in from weekly claims, initial claims, continuing claims, even war notices, right, as people potentially getting laid off here, getting notice of that. But overall, the unemployment rate is still really low compared to history. So we've seen things be solid there. Obviously, you want to watch for a change because that might spell some 
issues on, on the back end for the economy. But for the most part, we've seen the unemployment rate be, be relatively solid by, by staying lower. Another thing too here, and we can kind of pivot into weaknesses from it, if you want to use it as a contrarian indicator, but CTAs have been buying like crazy over the past couple of days. They've flipped from being short to long, and this kind of recent streak of buying has been one of the biggest 10-day buying streaks on record. So something super interesting to watch there, you know, we talked about FOMO and chasing. We might be seeing that to some degree here, but again, you can sometimes use that as a contrarian indicator where maybe people are piling in, things start to get a little top heavy, and it might kind of present an opportunity to reevaluate positioning. On that same note, we've also seen the put-call ratio fall, right? So there's less puts out there than there are calls, you know, and kind of just watching that maybe as a contrarian indicator as well, where when that gets super elevated, it means that people are kind of putting on more protection, right? They're buying more puts. When that's super depressed or that ratio is low, it means that there's more call buying, right? So people are kind of bullish on, on what's to take place. So, and that was corroborated by the CNN Fear and Greed Index, and it's something that our CIO, Derek Felsky, you know, he highlights often with respect to some of the notes that he sends out. But it, it wasn't too long ago that that was trading at like extreme levels of fear. You know, the market rallies 8%, and all of a sudden it, it's flashing the greed signal. Yeah, and so we've seen that kind of flip back and forth really quickly. So when you see those rapid changes... I don't want to say that it's like worrisome or anything because things can change, but definitely kind of piques your interest and makes you think about what really is going on underneath the hood. So let's pivot into weaknesses here, Jason. What do you got? I would just say from a risk reward perspective, it seems like there's more opportunities for fixed income than equities, just given current relative valuations. So you can still lock in money market mutual funds yielding 5% or short-term treasuries. And you know those securities are going to be highly liquid, low volatility, and you're effectively going to lock in a nice yield to maturity on, on the treasuries and just yield in general on the money market mutual funds until the Fed's forced to cut. And you compare that with the equity markets, which have rallied strongly. Maybe the average stock is more reasonably priced, but certainly the headline indices are elevated given the uncertainty from an earnings perspective going into next year. So it just kind of seems opportunistic to continue to keep some capital in those fixed income securities and you're effectively paid to wait. Right. And I think what it does, you know, when we've had this kind of crazy rate hiking cycle where we moved from zero to north of five, I think it really does make people rethink their risk tolerance and their risk capacity because fixed income yields were so depressed for so long. People weren't getting much. You know, there's all this talk about the 60-40 portfolio being dead. I mean, we even saw some of that commentary last year with, you know, one of the worst years for bonds in general. But when you're getting, I mean, north of 5% on what are typically viewed as risk-free assets like treasuries, obviously they're not risk-free, but that's typically how people view them. But when you're getting north of 5% on those, I think it becomes quite appealing to many people and it makes them think about, you know, is the amount of risk that I'm taking in equities really worth it? Or is that something I'm comfortable with when, you know, I can sit in treasuries for a little bit here and get almost north of 5%. So something interesting there. Yeah. And Trevor, it's funny because you hit the nail on the head. Everyone's talking about the 60-40 portfolio like it's dead. But wasn't the time to have that conversation when yields were zero? 
that's when you were taking a lot of risk in the fixed income markets. The resulting nearly three-year decline in, in fixed income securities from a price level is the result of the fact that we were in a bubble three years ago. Now you look at yields and you're being paid to wait. It's kind of peculiar that now that you actually have the value in the security, that everyone's saying that the asset class is dead. Right. And it's important to think about the long term when you have that kind of stuff, right? What is the role of fixed income in your portfolio? What is the role of equities? Really important to think about that for the long term here. Let's keep moving along on weaknesses, though. You know, I touched on unemployment earlier and, you know, how on an absolute basis it's low. But we're kind of watching for a change in trend there. And claims data came in worse than expected. So something to potentially note there, because what that kind of boils into is if people aren't bringing in as much, right, if they, let's say they get laid off from their job, if they're not bringing in income, right, what does that do to spending? People have talked about how strong the consumer has been. But, you know, if unemployment starts to tick up, uh, it's going to be important to watch kind of what takes place on the consumer side of things. It's up towards the high of the year. It's been an uneven path. The continuing unemployment claims spiked up in March and April when we were having the fear of a bank panic take place started trending lower, and all of a sudden, it's hooking back up again. So to your point, it's it's a trend worth monitoring. It certainly, along with a tick up in the unemployment rate, indicates that at large, there seems to be some weakness within the economy. And that's corroborated by, at least on a quarter over quarter change, you know, the relative deceleration in growth. So last quarter, you know, really strong growth, and now it looks like it's rolling over, and we'll be lucky if we get a two-handle on it. The thing to note on that, too, and kind of bring all this together is kind of the path of the consumer, Jason. You know, we were talking as a team about this just the other day. What have you been seeing there? Well, we've been on a lot of conference calls with some of the companies that we we look to invest in. And, you know, we, we had comments out of Walmart around the weakening consumer, highlighting how higher interest rates and lower savings. It's it's been making sales, I guess, somewhat uneven over the last two months. That was corroborated by BJ's, where same-store sales were flat versus expectations of a 1% gain, similarly providing a muted outlook on holiday spending. And then even a company like Bloom and Brands, Outback Steakhouse, they highlighted strong sales during that Labor Day period, but all of a sudden it just decelerated very quickly before starting to rebound. It almost feels like the consumer is running on fumes. They'll splurge then they'll get back and bring their savings to a more normalized level before splurging again. So I guess the question that we have is going into this holiday season, is it going to be a period where the consumer splurges or a period where the consumer is kind of pulling back and rebuilding their balance sheet? Because we've seen revolving credit just continue to trend higher. So the consumer is taking on more debt. Right. And there's a bigger question on the flip side of that, too. You know, we've gone let's call it three years roughly now since we've come out of, you know, the March 2020 lows. Um, But coming out of COVID, people's spending habits changed entirely, right? There was all this pent-up demand. People, they just had this propensity to spend goods, services, experience, kind of you name it. And so as we get to this level now where, you know, some of that starts to get ran through in respect to excess savings, but how willing are people to downgrade their lifestyle here? Because when when people get used to, you know, let's use this example, when people get used to eating Chipotle, do you really want to go back to Taco Bell? You know, it becomes this this interesting dynamic of how willing are they to downgrade their lifestyle and what kind of extent will they go to 
to keep this up, whether that is utilizing, you know, more credit card debt, which we've kind of seen that level tick up, you know, that is a level of like household income, relatively okay, but still, how far will people go to maintain kind of their current spending habits? Or are we going to kind of have this, you know, wake up moment where we do kind of see things dial back? I I think that's also a great place to turn it over to opportunities, um, if that's okay, Trevor. Yeah, let's rock and roll. Well, I, I think the one opportunity that we can talk about is, you know, with respect to the potential deceleration in the economy, the Fed may be successfully reigning in inflation. There's just this prospect of the Fed ultimately cutting interest rates. And the question is, if short rates come down, where does that money flow? There's just so many trillions of dollars that have flown into money market mutual funds. And Todd Voigt, our chief investment strategist, he always talked about, hey, you know, you as the investor can look now and, and see that 5% yield on money market mutual funds. And if the market is trending lower, you're saying, hey, why don't I have more money market mutual funds? I'm not taking really any risk. I'm locking in a high yield. And conversely, when the market starts to trend higher, they're saying, oh, well, you know, market just rallied 8% in two weeks. I'm only locking in 5% here. So that risk reward, if the Fed is to embark on a, a cutting cycle, at what point does money start to flow into equities? And one thing that we were talking about as a team is just relative valuations. So there has been such a tremendous expansion of the monetary base via M2 effectively since the start of COVID. And that money has effectively been pushed into money market mutual funds that are yielding 5% right now. You know, it's from a risk reward perspective, we're talking about it as an opportunity. But the question is, when it's less opportunistic to hold that capital, where does it rotate? And if it rotates into equities, even if you have um, a deterioration in the economy, firstly, equities are going to discount that deterioration in advance and start trending higher prior to GDP bottoming. But secondly, the price to earnings multiple is really just looking at the price of a security relative to the earnings that it derives. But the underlying instrument is ownership in a business. And that ownership in a business is relatively scarce. In fact, often that is an increasingly scarce asset because the best businesses in the world tend to just repurchase their shares. So there are fewer shares of Apple and Microsoft and O'Reilly Automotive outstanding now than there were five years ago. So it's interesting that we might have this prospect where this, it's, it's almost like a, a tidal wave of money could be unleashed at some point when short-term rates fall and they'll be competing for increasingly scarce equity assets, which at the end of the day, these businesses will continue to be robust over business cycles. It's interesting that the prospect could be multiple expansion just based on the increase in the absolute number of monetary units competing for this increasingly scarce resource that is ownership in businesses. Right. A simple supply and demand dynamic, really. And, and like you said, right, if, if more kind of assets are flowing into markets and kind of driving prices that way, then they're actually flowing into the real economy. It naturally warrants that multiple expansion. And what you could see, and the reason why it's so important to do your homework, is that maybe some of those typical historical levels or long-term averages, maybe those don't hold like they used to, right? People always talk about, well, the average multiple on X, Y, and Z over this time frame is this. 
well, if we have this changing dynamic, it warrants people needing to do their homework and reevaluating what you're paying for a business. And obviously, it's always important to think of what price you're paying, you know, what multiple you're paying. Um, but it'll be really interesting for, I think, stock pickers in general going forward. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities there. I was going to say, just segueing with respect to stock picking, we're going through a period of immense tax loss selling. And for the average stock, I mean, you look at the S&P 500 equal weighted index, you look at the Russell 2000, those markets really peaked, I would say, in July. So we're, we've undergone effectively a, a six-month period where the average investor in those securities probably has a loss and they're looking to reduce their taxes as we enter 2024. So those securities are all subject to massive tax loss selling. And many securities haven't gone anywhere in three to four years. So as we go into the new year, it's almost this technical force that is pushing securities down probably below where they should be trading from a fundamental perspective. And I think from a market perspective, I mean, our investment team, we're looking at individual securities and we're saying, well, yeah, we'll find something that's being pushed down relative to fundamentals, but you don't really want to get in front of that moving train of selling. You look to start maybe accumulating those names in December means that not only do you see more supply coming onto the market from forced liquidators, but also demand kind of knowing that there are people that are forced to sell and kind of holding back so it's going to be opportunistic at some point to find some really high quality names that are being pushed down due to this technical force and getting in there and doing a good job, you know, picking stocks. Yeah, right. I mean, really, it presents an opportunity to do some bargain shopping when it comes to individual stocks here going forward. And, you know, our chief investment officer, Derek Felsky, has reminded us, you know, time and time again that the time to buy stocks is going to be when you really don't want to or when people are really beating them down. So might be an opportunity to do some bargain shopping here going forward. What do you think about kind of longer duration equities here, given the rate situation? Well, one thing that you can say is that longer duration securities, there's been that from a fundamental perspective, what would I rather own? Uh, a longer duration fixed income security yielding 5% or an equity where maybe the um, earnings yield is only 4%. But as some of these longer duration fixed income securities trend lower from a yield perspective, the opportunity to buy one of those growth companies that's maybe a little bit more richly priced than the index, I would say it becomes more appealing, especially given the fact that many of these companies continue to compound and grow their earnings over time. So if anything, I would say that lower yields probably removes a headwind for many of these longer duration securities. Uh, when you think of what's gone down this year, real estate might be in vogue or utilities in, in addition to some of the other maybe small and mid-cap growth companies that didn't quite catch the same bid as the Magnificent Seven. So fantastic point, Jason. Let's finish up here and let's get to threats. What do you got? Our chief economist, Brian Jacobson, he, he always shows this chart with respect to the path of the Fed funds rate, how it usually gets jacked up when the Fed is trying to restrain the economy. Then there's this pause and then the cuts. And the cuts always seem to be a little bit more abrupt than the hiking or pause cycle, usually because the Fed is reactive as opposed to proactive. So I guess while we're in this, as he calls it, pregnant pause, Maybe the Fed is too slow to cut rates as the unemployment rate starts to tick up and consumption trends lower. 
And as a result, they're going to have to come out the other side and cut rates rapidly. Well, and that kind of gets to something else we've been talking about, that whole, you know, maybe cutting too fast, maybe cutting too slow. I think it's super important that they also think about kind of the federal debt level and what's happening there. What are you seeing and what do you think about that? It's it's interesting because the Fed effectively jacked rates, rates up to 5% to slow the economy, but they did this at the same time the the federal government was injecting $2 trillion um, just from running a deficit into the economy. So the, you have monetary policy is restrictive, fiscal policy is stimulative, and then the overwhelming debt. So we've got, what is it, $33.7 trillion in debt that was yielding 2.5% a couple years ago. Now that rates are increasing, coupled with the fact that a lot of that debt was only termed out as bills, so short duration, you're having a wall of debt mature and roll over at a higher coupon. So not only have we been running these large deficits that are now being funded at 5%, but any existing debt that's maturing is being rolled over at 5%. So we've seen you know, the interest on federal debt effectively ex- explode on a trailing 12-month basis, it's now more than a trillion dollars. Uh, but what's a trillion dollars between friends? And um, th- what's really interesting is that on the other side of the trade, you've got Warren Buffett sitting with $157 billion cash, taking no risk and clipping this coupon that the, that the, that the, uh, the Fed's effectively willing to pay them via the Treasury. Right. So. It's peculiar, and it gets right back into um, the point we were discussing in an opportunity is at some point, something has to change. And you could say that this has been a talking point since the 1980s when we started to run more pronounced deficits, but it feels like there's something not working so well in the treasury market, just given the volatility some days. I think we're closer to something happening than, than we certainly were in the past, given this shift. The thing, too, with what's been taking place in markets has kind of been counteracting what the Fed's looking to do. So financial conditions are you know, easing at a time when the Fed is really trying to do everything they can to depress activity. And, you know, they talk about the soft landing being priced in. Markets are looking at that. But, you know, the Fed's kind of tooting their own horn in the sense of, you know, inflation's kind of coming down. We're seeing what we want to see there. But in reality, the changes we've seen in CPI, which seems to be kind of, you know, the villain that we're trying to defeat here, a lot of the reduction that we've seen there has really been a function of expanding supply rather than curbing demand, which with rate hikes and whatnot, you're, you're trying to curb demand as opposed to deal with supply side issues. So it's just been tough, right? The, the market's basically, I feel like we've said this before, but they're playing chicken with the Fed in the sense that, you know, are you going to move first or are we going to move first? Um, So it's just super interesting because Fed has been trying to do everything they can to button things up, ease demand, you know, potentially try and reduce the size of the balance sheet, all that. But markets said, eh, not quite. (laughs) Things are easing. So Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. It's episode 78. What is our headline strength this week? I guess you can say Rudolph's taking a break and Santa's sleigh is being pulled by some bulls. Headline weakness? A risk reward is looking risky. Headline opportunity. Dumpster diving is back on the menu. Headline threat. The Fed is hurting the federal government more than Warren Buffett. Episode 78, Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Jason Cooper, research analyst, thank you. Thanks, Danny. Trevor Nargis, supervisor, trading team, thank you. Thank you, Danny. 
Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.